Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of Vinyl Live. Today we have Mikko Honkanen talking about things we learned when we attended Saster Annual and Inbound just recently. And uh, we have Mikko here uh, who's gonna, I'm gonna interview him about certain things and certain learnings I think we'll all benefit from uh, knowing what's happening in the cutting edge uh, space when it comes to growth companies. So, uh, Mikko, could you briefly explain uh, to the audience, if, if everyone's not aware, what actually are those two events? What is Inbound and what is Saster Annual? Yes, happy to do so. Inbound is an annual conference organized by HubSpot. So it's, a, it's all about HubSpot and uh, they typically announce some product releases at Inbound, then lots of uh, customers, prospects, agency partners and technology partners also fly into Boston. And uh, it takes three days, lots of keynotes, workshops, presentations and uh, in general uh, HubSpot community meeting each other. Then Saster, it's in San Francisco, Saster Annual. It's a conference um, focusing on SaaS companies, so software as a service companies. Again, lots of keynotes, workshops, presentations, tons of pre-booked meetings, quite a few investors also flying in, other SaaS companies demoing their solutions. Um, that's also a three-day event and uh, in, in San Francisco in California. Okay. Um, now, we've been doing a lot of video interviews uh, during those events and and I remember posting those, so I learned a lot as well. Uh, I remember the people who we interviewed talked a lot uh, during Inbound. They talked a lot about this community-led growth. And I think that was a big topic at Inbound. Um, do you feel that it's, it's a, sort of a new buzzword? Or do you think that it's, it's going to be the, sort of the revolutionary next step for sales and marketing uh, in B2B companies? I think it's, of course, it is. A buzzword but when i say that i mean it's um, that it's a buzzword in a positive way um, i think the way it was presented is that many especially uh, software companies are now applying plg product-led uh, growth motion in their go-to-market tactics and now the next sort of version of it is that it's community-led growth. Uh, for me what it means in practice i think hubspot is a good example of that as a company HubSpot does an excellent job, in my opinion, to promote their partners. They have always done an excellent job promoting agency partners, working together with them. But now I feel that they're also putting more and more focus on app partners, technology partners. So they really believe that uh, everybody wins if, if partners and companies work together and uh, also that they collaborate when it comes to building value for customers. So I think for me, it's all about just really using uh, the community, creating a community, uh, working with partners and trying to find those win-win-win situations where all partners and also the end customer wins. So I think HubSpot is a good example of that. And I think HubSpot does excellent job promoting agency partners and nowadays also technology and app partners. Yeah, we work with a, with a lot of agencies and uh... It's, it, it was great to see the buzz going on there. Uh, what about sort of new things coming up with HubSpot, uh, some sort of new product updates or releases? Did they talk about anything like that? 
Yeah, and I think in all honesty, most of the agency partners they have already uh, written good blog articles highlighting the most important releases. For me, two things um, really um, uh, took my attention. The first one is that the HubSpot is really focusing on uh, customer journey. Uh, analytics attribution as well, because we all know that a sales process and buying process is getting more and more complex. There's so many different touch points and HubSpot as a platform, as a technology, they want to help marketeers and salespeople to understand attribution, understand the full customer journey. So that was one. Uh, the other one is um, the data quality is getting lots of attention. HubSpot already uh, earlier, they announced Operations Hub. And nowadays, part of Operations Hub, you also have specific tools that will help you to identify the gaps you have in your data. You can analyze certain properties you have in HubSpot and quickly see if you have a lot of missing information, if you have lots of duplicates, and they're building tools to also help companies to do that. And that's, of course, great news for uh, data partners like, like Vino, because we can, of course, also help customers a lot to make sure that they have exactly the right type of data in their HubSpot, like making sure that they have values and, and correct values in their company properties and also that we can bring in additional proprietary data so that segmentation and, and building audiences can be even more, more accurate. So those two things were the main releases, at least from, from my point of view. And this using data, definitely uh, an important Important thing, data management, uh, enrichment. Uh, why do you feel that uh, we're moving towards this direction? Why is it important now to make sure that your database is in good condition and, and you have all the data properties you need in, in one place? Based on those, we interviewed more than 50 companies, both at Inbound and Saster, and um, one one thing that is quite obvious for me is that more and more companies are implementing and, and introducing sales ops and revenue ops teams. And um, maybe 10 years ago, it was enough if you have very smart, proactive salespeople, individuals who are good at using technology and they manage to get results that way. Then a few years ago, uh, people started to implement playbooks so that all teams would work in a systematic way. And uh, of course, the goal is to get good results, not only for those proactive individuals, but also on a team level. But now most companies are implementing sales ops and revenue ops. And for me, it says that companies want to have like one um, very scalable way of doing sales, doing uh, marketing, and also the way they work with existing customers. And if we have rev ops individuals, sales ops individuals, they will also be the main users, the sort of the main architects who will orchestrate go-to-market tactics. And that's why if they want to do it at scale, they need to have the data in place. Because they, of course, they, will, they want to be very data-driven uh, when it comes to creating audiences for marketing. They want to be very data-driven when they feed good prospects for salespeople, and they want to be very data-driven when they segment existing customer base. But all those things are basically impossible to do unless you have high-quality data and also that you have complete data set in your CRM. So that's why I think two things will happen. First of all, we'll see lots of RevOps teams and sales ops teams, not only in software companies, but also in other, other industries. 
And since those individuals will play a huge role managing and being responsible for uh, uh, the workflows, they will request and require high quality data to be in their CRMs and marketing automation systems. Interesting. It's uh, what I've noticed in LinkedIn is that two years ago, RevOps, sales ops, well, there were maybe some sales ops people. RevOps is definitely something that uh, uh, is on the rise. And uh, even if you look at recruitment ads, you can see lots and lots of companies uh, recruiting for RevOps uh, people. Um, and uh, yeah, when we think about like, we can move on to maybe some examples from, from Saster Annual, uh, and we can actually continue about because uh, that continue about the sort of role of uh, RevOps. Um, would you say that the, the companies that we interviewed in, in, in Saster, like, is it like a default that they have a RevOps person? Uh, or was it like something they're still exploring, uh, especially when we compare to sort of companies in the Nordics, for example? So how advanced are these companies that were in uh, Saster Annual in San Francisco when it comes to RevOps roles? I think it's maybe not fully fair to compare like the US and, and the Nordics just based on Saster or inbound, because we all know that in general, uh, companies that go into those events and especially the ones that are having a booth um, at those events, they're typically scale-ups experiencing very high growth. So in general, they're very advanced in their own way of own way of working and doing sales and marketing. But if, if we if we analyze those 50 plus companies, yes, many of them, they already have sales ops and rev ops teams in place. And, and the ones that don't have, they typically have a very tech savvy and sort of operations savvy VP sales or VP marketing who is doing those things and having those responsibilities, even though he or she doesn't have that exact title. One thing, uh, especially at Saster, we always started the interviews by asking about ICP, ideal customer profile. I was very positively surprised that more or less every individual was able to define their ICP right away. And it was very accurate. They knew exactly that this, these are the type of companies we want to do business with. And also that these are sort of the individuals within those companies uh, that we need to target. And I think that's, of course, a great starting point if you want to create a scalable sales and marketing engine that you know exactly the companies you want to go after. You also know how to find them. And you also have started building uh, customization and personalization at scale, meaning that different segments see different type of content and also that you, the ads and, and sponsored content you use on LinkedIn, it's always tailored for the audience. Quite a few of them also had sub-segments, so they, they didn't treat the whole ICP the same way, but they had identified sub-segments, and then they had a little bit different playbooks and processes in place uh, for each and every one of them. So all in all, very advanced if you compare to just randomly picked uh, companies. But as I said, it's not really fair to say that US is ahead of Europe only because of that, because I think when we go to Sastock in, in Dublin, we'll see also that there's lots of advanced companies in Europe because typically uh, the ones that are leading the way, they are also the ones that end up going into those conferences and having boots there. 
Okay, so it's more about the advanced companies, the growth companies that have a lot of pressure to grow, need to implement uh, certain tactics and strategies that help them scale up faster and faster. And uh, that also, uh, another topic that I picked up also from the videos was that uh, a lot of companies were talking about uh, not having growth at all costs uh, anymore, but at growth at a reasonable cost. Uh, those were probably some interesting conversations uh, you had. Yeah, we interviewed both um, investors, so some uh, VCs, private equity people, and of course then uh, founders from companies. And I, I think everybody knows that uh, lately we have seen uh, uh, revenue multiples and valuations going down quite a bit. So that might indicate that it, it will be a little bit more challenging for at least for some companies to raise additional round of funding or at least to raise it with uh, excellent terms. So I think that's why it's quite natural that companies and their investors are putting more focus also on EBITDA and uh, profitability. So just like you said, it's not only growth at all costs, but a good growth with reasonable cost. I think that was definitely one of the sort of common themes uh, that popped up, uh, especially at Saster. So not only doing everything you can to maximize growth, but you need to do it in a smart way so that it makes sense. And also that you have some sort of uh, roadmap ahead of you to reach profitability at some point, if that's needed. And, and we also asked about uh, metrics. And I, I think lifetime value was, the, was one of the most popular ones. Obviously, it, it, it varied depending on who we interview, but LTV seemed to be uh, the most important thing. So I guess this ties in a lot to the profitability and long-term thinking right now. Yeah, it does. Um, and if I think about, yeah, we were asking like, what's the most important SaaS KPI or what's your North Star metric? And that's what we did at Saster. Uh, I think very early stage companies, they of course focus on finding product market fit, understanding client acquisition cost and uh, comparing client acquisition cost with lifetime value. But I think when, when we interviewed companies that are a little bit ahead uh, already that they have millions of annual recurring revenue, most of them actually mentioned net revenue retention or net dollar re retention. So making sure that you actually have a very healthy customer base making sure that you're able to deliver long-term value for customers so that you don't lose them and also that you can upsell and increase the value of existing customer base. So I would say that early states, maybe client acquisition cost, lifetime value, product market fit, but then when you already have an ongoing business and millions of uh, annual recurring revenue, then net revenue retention was the one that got most mentions. Okay. Um I would still like to dig in a bit. You talked about how advanced certain companies are when it comes to ICP definition. So defining your ICP, I'm guessing it's, it's beyond the, the classic like uh, size industry location and we're selling to sales directors. It must be something more robust. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to like mm, company data, um, I think most companies location plays a smaller and smaller role so it's not as important as it used to be because you can sell uh, products online these days of course you have unique companies where the lo where location data is everything i mean if you provide 
localization software, then you want to know uh, the ones that have uh, uh, offices and locations in multiple countries and so on. But in general, maybe location plays less important role. Uh, specific industry verticals, obviously the ones who joined Saster, they most likely want to sell to other SaaS companies. So finding sub-segments such as B2B SaaS was very important for, uh, for many of them. Then technology vendors, of course, they want to look at technographics. Not only uh, sort of the easy technographics, the ones that you can detect simply by looking at the website, but they want to spend put more focus on understanding, for example, backend technologies and uh, a way to understand what type of backend technologies you need to start looking at job openings companies are publishing on their website. Do they mention uh, Amazon Web Services? Do they talk about Azure instead or Google Cloud? Like understanding also backend technologies that was one especially for software companies and then uh, companies are getting very detailed which is which is nice so for example looking at uh, website keywords like some some companies mentioned that for them the perfect perfect uh, icp case is a company that mentions for example free trial uh, more than 20 times on their website Another company mentioned that for them, it's all about knowing if companies already using video testimonials, if they have that type of subpage on the website where they actually place uh, uh, case studies that are in video format. Um, some companies wanted to find PLG, product-led growth companies, and a good way to get into that game is to look at the offering they have on the website. So I think we see that best marketeers, best sales ops, web ops people, they know that they can be a lot more detailed, not only relying on industry location and company size, but they can focus on very specific things like very detailed industry verticals, maybe combined with technology data and website keywords, for example. Okay, that was, uh, I think most of the things we wanted to cover. Uh... The audience, if you want to ask questions, you can add them in the chat. We already have a few questions that were sent uh, through LinkedIn and we have some time left, so we could just go through them. But if you want to ask questions, just please put them in the chat. But uh, here's one question. Um, when is a company ready for its first RevOps recruit? And the standard answer is, I guess, it depends. Um, but I think the moment when you have successful salespeople, not only the founder, CEO doing sales, but you have a few individuals who have joined the company and they are becoming successful in sales. And you see that there's sort of a, that you see that it's possible to create a scalable uh, sales and marketing engine. That's at least the moment when I would give that responsibility to someone. Maybe I would give it to head of marketing, head of, uh, head of sales first, but that's when you start creating those processes and workflows. The moment when you're feeling that, hey, product market fit is within reach and we could actually create a very scalable and systematic sales marketing uh, engine based on these results that we have. So quite early on, actually a lot earlier than I initially uh, thought. Okay. Um, next one is, uh, how do I know if my ICP is not defined 
well enough. Look at the look at the companies you do business with uh, first of all. So you can of course check all the other companies from your CRM with closed one uh, uh, status or customer status. Then you can look at the type of prospects, the companies people are prospecting at the moment, salespeople, and if you bring bulk export companies from databases, look at those. Like you should clearly see that okay, we're actually adding same type of prospects as we're doing business with. And when you look at the type of companies you have, you should be able to uh, cluster them or segment them. And you should start seeing quite clear segments and categories. And then of course, prospects should reflect that reality. But if, if your CRM is a little bit all over the place and it's difficult to pinpoint where you're successful, then I would at least ask the question, have you actually defined ICP? carefully enough, because if you do it first, you might feel that, hey, I'm losing out opportunities I'm, if I'm not focusing on all these accounts. But trust me, you will be so much more effective if you manage to narrow down your ICP and then you really go all in with that. And it, it has an impact on product development, marketing, messaging, the type of salespeople you bring in, the required skill set, but it will make things more scalable, at least in my opinion. Great. I think we have time for one more uh, question, unless someone writes it in the chat. But uh, uh, this is one. Have you seen the same growth at reasonable costs trend in Europe? I have. And I think maybe I might be biased, and this is not really based on a huge study, but I think we have seen it more in Europe than in the US. Uh, one example is the growth of, for example, revenue-based financing providers, right? So there's different type of financing methods and uh, those uh, providers highlight profitability and, and, and cash flow uh, a lot more than maybe traditional VCs and some of the private equity people, um, especially uh, VCs who at least historically have been um, highlighting growth over everything else. So I think we do do see it, and I think it's a it's a macro trend right now in all, all places that investors and founders and, and, and CFOs, even if they're not profitable yet or cash flow positive, they need to have a plan in place how to turn the business to be cash flow positive or profitable. Uh, because you never know how the, uh, how the um, sort of ma uh, macro conditions are about to evolve okay that's uh that's it for this episode then uh thank you very much Mikko. and uh, i guess we will be attending SaaS talk in Dublin in a couple of weeks and uh, i'm sure we'll get lots of nice interviews and insights from there but uh, thank you very much uh Mikko. and uh, this concludes the fifth episode of vinyl live and stay tuned for the next one thank you Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Ciao.